Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Owen Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, let's the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined together by Noel Kirkpatrick. And, uh, yeah, I said last week we were short on shows, but this week it's 4th of July weekend. Um, and so we don't even have Holy Moly as a reliable show that we can talk about, though I did watch quite a bit of Holy Moly this week, Noel. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be a short one this week, but, uh, but still there, you know, there's still some interesting stuff happening in TV, even if there's less of it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, there is. Um, but I mean, we'll, we'll always have marbles. We'll (laughs) always have marbles. Hey, you know, we're going to get to Jelly's Marble Runs. Uh, I was I keep waiting for Last Week Tonight to plug it, since, you know, they're sponsoring. Right. And, and Me they too. Haven't. It's so weird. But anyways, uh, this week at the end of the show, we're talking about Padmalakshmi's uh, show on Hulu, which is Taste the Nation. It's I, So far, it has not been renewed for season two, as far as I can tell, but it's a 10-episode, half-hour, 35-minute-ish long long show. Um, that'll be coming, our conversation will be coming at the end of the show. But for now, we're going to uh, skip over some news. There was some, some renewals and stuff, and there's plenty of people talking about, like, the, the ballots going out for Emmys and stuff, but... We don't care about Emmys at the best of times, so I don't think... Do we care right now? Yeah. No. And also, we don't get to vote on them, so all the more reason not to care. Yeah. So so we're just going to focus on the week's TV this time. So we'll listen to some music, take a break, and be right back after this with our week in TV. Yeah. I waited all of my life. All of my life. Never again will I wait on the shine. Baby, it's mine. Pay them no mind if they stuck in the days. Get out of my way. I'm on a move. I ain't running in place or running away. It's never too late. Got my eye on the prize. Eye on the prize. I cannot fall behind. That ain't gonna ride. Yeah, and you ought to know we gotta go. Said I'm back. This week in TV, we're going to kick things off with the new documentary series, I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Uh, The premiere was this Sunday on HBO, Murder Habit. Then we're going to talk, of course, about Jelly's Marble Runs. The second episode was Half Pipe. So, uh, very excited for that. Then we'll go over to RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars, She, MZ. And then head to Genre with Stargirl, Shiv Part 1, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Adapt or Die. And we'll round things out uh, by catching up with Adventure Time, Distant Lands, which aired last week, but I just got the chance to watch it this week week, so I'm a little behind on that, but we'll we'll have plenty to say about Adventure Time. Um, so first up is I'll Be Gone in the Dark, and this is a six-episode documentary series following the, I mean, I think it's based on the book by Michelle McNamara, the late Michelle McNamara, who was a crime um, writer and like a cold case head, you know, someone who would, who would follow and investigate, follow up on and investigate either cold cases or uh, stories uh, of of 
you know, serial killers and other criminals who have not been caught yet. Um, and her work, which, you know, she put into her blog, um, and in other publications and ultimately in this book, I'll be gone in the dark helped renew interest in catching the golden state killer, which is a name that she dubbed for this particular uh, serial killer who was then recently caught, um, at like years and years, decades after the fact. Um, so it's a, if you're into true crime, certainly there will be some interest, uh, here, but I was surprised to find that a lot of this first episode is really just about her more than anything else. Um, and for me, I was compelled by it. I thought I thought it was really interesting. What did you think of I'll Be Gone in the Dark? I liked it. Um, I think the thing that kind of stands out to me most is the ways in which this episode in particular, because I haven't seen the rest of I have, yeah. I have not seen any of the rest of this. and I, I've only seen the premiere as well. Yeah, and I haven't read the book. I'm not particularly familiar with McNamara beyond sort of her reputation for being what the series here calls a citizen detective. Um, I never read her blog. Um, true crime stuff is not my typical wheelhouse. Um But the thing that really interested me, at least within this premiere, was the ways in which they layer reenactment in really sort of, I don't want to say postmodern ways, but in very sort of, like, they're toying with the concept of a true crime documentary, I think. Like, I think most, most to, like, the idea of when... McNamara meets up with the social worker who is a woman who she met through the A&E cold case uh, uh, message forms. And they do a reenactment of that woman and McNamara going to the house and talking about it in the car, overlaying that with recorded dialogue um, from... McNamara from like her notes and stuff with her conversations with um, the social, the woman who goes by the social worker handle and the ways in which that they just kind of layer all of McNamara's like actual audio notes into the series to like slowly build like these layers of peeling back something basically that then they peel back i think is really interesting and i think is something that you can only do in part because of how mcnamara documented so much stuff um on top of that whole fact of like this is a very standard true crime sort of approach to telling the story but the ways in which they insert mcnamara into it both from her own voice, but also having a performer read her read her like blog out loud to us, I think is really interesting, and I'm really fascinated by the creation of McNamara as a presence. Um, even though she passed away in oh, I forget um, a few years back now. Yeah, a few years back, she passed away in 2016. Um, and the ways in which that she's at the forefront of this, I think, is really compelling, I think. Um, and I'm rambling a little bit, so I'm going to stop. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I, the show's audio aesthetics, I think, are really the most interesting thing right now, at least in this premiere. How did that play for you, if you noticed it at all? Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, you know, mm-hmm. the, certainly as someone who 
you know, she gave a lot of material for them to work with because of all of her notes and because, uh, you know, Patton Oswalt, her, her husband had kept those, or I assume, or maybe some of her colleagues, um, that, that really gave them a lot of room to work with because, you know, she passed away several years ago, so four years ago. So they couldn't have her, you know, meet back up with these people and, and kind of use, shoot the type of footage that these true crime docu-series tend to to go for. Um, So, yeah, having her be such a a clear presence through her voice and, like, some some footage from different, you know, uh, family videos or just other things that had been shot at various times really... um, I thought it was a really nice touch and doing some, like you said, creative like reenactments of those uh, was a, was a clever and interesting way to work around the fact that she's, you know, she's dead. She's no longer with us. So, um, you know, why not recreate moments of discovery and victory for, you know, in the process of the eventual solving of this case, as opposed to just recreating moments of horror and trauma, you know? Yeah. I thought that was actually really neat. So uh, very, un- I was very on board with that. I'm glad that you noticed that, too, because I was really struck by that as I was watching it. I thought it's not something that I've... I, I don't recall seeing that approach with other docuseries. I, the, the one that I was most um, reminded of was, of course, The Keepers, which is a challenging but really compelling docuseries uh, around, like, true crime, around these women solving a case um, of the murder of one of their favorite teachers while they were in school, um, like, decades later. And uh, so it's it's obviously very much its own thing, but anything that's, you know, if you're causing me to think of the keepers in a positive light and your like if, if your show is causing me to think on that then you're doing good <laughs> you're in good shape because that's a positive connection you know um i'll be uh, gone in the dark should should hope that when when we're done with it it's in the same breath as as the keepers so um yeah and also like nobody watched the keepers that i knew um I still don't don't think I know anyone else who has watched it. And it makes me sad, but also I totally get it because it's a hard watch. Um, So um, hopefully more people will watch this one. But uh, yeah, that that really struck me. I'm curious, like, six episodes seems like a lot of episodes. Six Mm -hmm. hour long episodes. So... We'll see if they can maintain. I thought that they, the pacing was pretty good in this first episode of like kind of establishing like you're, you're setting up your characters of McNamara, but also these other people that she um, is intersecting with and, and meeting. And they, um, you know, interview some of the survivors and like out lay out some of the basics of, of the case um, and of, of some of the earlier parts of the Golden State Killers uh, crimes and um like it, it was, it was very setting the mood, kind of. So I just hope that yes. that the pacing doesn't start to lag at a certain point, um, because that would feel really gross to like stretch a serial killer case for an extra episode to get more views out of it, as opposed to because that's what the narrative requires to to really cover all the people involved in helping to find and uh, prosecute. And catch this guy. Um, so yeah, we'll see. But I, 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 yeah, I was, I enjoyed the first episode. I was impressed with it, and I thought it was a a good entry into this genre. 
Yeah, it is. It is. And I think that a lot of the building of this narrative, and we'll be curious to see how we feel about it by the end, is the fact that the book itself was sort of cobbled together by her editors along with Patton Oswald. Um in because none of her chapters were organized in any way, shape, or yeah. form, based on my reading. They were I'm sure they were organized in her mind. <laughs> right. They were definitely organized in her mind. And you definitely yeah. get a sense of both her fascination and um I think even by her own admission through a lot of this like obsession with figuring this out. Um that there's sort of a finding a route to uh, finding a route to McNamara's interest along with building that in a way that tells a coherent narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, I think is a big challenge for this show in particular, since I think that they really want it to be as much about McNamara's search as it is about putting the survivors front and, f- front and center. Because like you said, there's n- so far there's no reenactment type stuff of crime there's here's where it happened but we're going to let the survivor talk which i think is a much more nuanced and interesting way of doing that especially in light of like when we watched unbelievable earlier this year that was earlier this year right or no late last year i don't remember um i don't remember i think it was last year it was last year because it was on my best of the year yeah. Okay. That's what I thought in my brain. I was like, no, that's it's, it's coming up on list. like best of the year ballots and Emmy ballots and stuff like that. Yeah. That's why we're it's on, it's fresh on the mind because of that stuff. But no, it aired or was released by Netflix last year. Okay. Thank you. Because I was just like, I don't remember. But the ways in which that handled its fictionalized reenactments of things um, was really potent, and I think not trying to replicate that or do their own spin on it, I think makes here in I'll Be Gone in the Dark, I think makes a lot of sense. So I'm pretty happy with this first episode and I'm definitely compelled by it, which is a little bit of a hurdle to clear when it comes to true crime stuff that doesn't have like a larger hook of being kind of zany a la like McMillions. Mm -hmm. But we all saw what happened to McMillions. (laughs) Yes, there's that. Um, Yeah, so having... I don't think that's going to happen here, but... (laughs) No, I don't don't anticipate that here. Uh, But yeah, a good balance of the humanity and um, reverence of McNamara for what happened and... You know, and the drive. So it's not just, it's easy for docuseries like this, especially about violent crime and uh, this kind of suffering, to uh, to pivot or go just go a little over the edge into like leering at the trauma. Um, and this so far doesn't feel like it's going to do that because it is staying so centered in, in McNamara. And so far, I'm encouraged by it. So yeah, I think it, check it out, listeners, if you're into true crime, if you are knowledgeable about this topic, like if you if you're interested in the Golden State Killer or or McNamara and want to learn a bit more, seek it out. Or even just if you're looking for some more things that aren't marbles, but. If you are looking for more things that are marbles, let's go over to Jelly's Marble Run because we have our second episode of the the Marble League 2020, which is the half pipe. Half pipe and listeners picked good because the Rangers crushed it with a 
national or international record, right? With a Marble League record. Marble yes. League. Yes. Is it not, it's not all of Jolly Run, it's just the Marble League record? Oh, I mean, I don't know how much the half pipe um, appears, but it, they classify it as a Marble League record. Well, and you know what's thing. sad is, is that your Minty Maniacs had a record too. Yeah, no, they did. And then your stupid Orangers came in and ruined it. Yeah, like like it was like the next run or maybe maybe two. It was really close back uh, to yeah. back. The thrill of victory, the sting of defeat. Um, but uh, so the 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 Orangers are doing pretty good so far, but they're still in second to your Maniacs. Um, yes, and your Hazers are like in fifth or so, somewhere between mm-hmm. five and ten is where you guys. Yeah, they're, they're in seventh place. Seventh um, right now. Um, so I'm I'm not feeling optimistic about the Hazers right now. I'm feeling optimistic about the Minty Maniacs. Well, I'm, I'm hoping. I'm just all in on the Rangers, the Rangers. So like, if something happens, I'm just you know, I'll just be oh, in for the color you're... commentary. I don't have a backup. You're just team. gonna be devastated. You yeah. don't have a backup team. You always have to have a backup team. See, I'm yeah, clearly I'm I'm new to this. I'm a newbie at Marvel racing, uh, like viewing and, and fandom. <laughs> so, uh, we'll but. See. It is exciting because this week we get probably our favorite event, I feel like it's safe to say, between mm-hmm. the two of us. Because we get the Funnel Endurance Race. Yeah. Funnel Endurance Race is pretty good. Though I am very much in the mood for just f- who can be fastest. I feel like there's been... So, there are so many of these different uh, heats and different like challenges that are... like the bal- We had balance, right? Can you stay on the line? Then this one was who's the slowest... Right, who and then the next one's gonna be endurance, who can take the longest. So I'm I'm also gonna be very much here for just who wins when we get there. Yeah. Well I mean we should be getting to um sprints and stuff mm-hmm. um soon. Um and those are always also really exciting. But I love the funnel endurance. Mm-hmm. Um just because things can change on a dime in the funnel endurance. They really can. can just change on a dime and it's very exciting. Yep, yep. So that is our Jelly's Marble Run Marble League 2020 update. Uh, let's head over to All Stars, and they had SheMC. And so, Drag Race is not like they're not great at improv. The improv challenges, the scripted challenges, the writing's never very good. On the scale of things, I thought that these were actually pretty good, and I had quite a bit of fun with most of them. And with a few tweaks, I think all three could have been pretty fun. Like short improv scenes. So I was surprisingly on board with this, but I will say it definitely improved dramatically when I watched it again. So I could go in with mm-hmm. appropriate expectations. So I, that may just be a me thing. How did you feel about, about she and Z? Uh, a little like, not like great about it. Um, I think like the sketches, they, they were okay. Um, the last sketch, which was, um, Indian mayhem Mm -hmm. was bad. There was Um, nothing. There was nothing there. there. They had nothing. Um, and like, I turned to my, I turned to my partner while we were watching it. I was just like, I see what they're wanting to do here. Cause there's definitely like a John Waters vibe, especially at the end. Mm Mm-hmm. Which I was then very pleased when Carson like went and acknowledged that as well because I was just like, "See, I know things. I know <laughs> things." Um, but it wasn't deranged enough at the start to justify the weirdness that they get to at that end, which was mainly my big problem there. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But the other the other thing I ended up having with a lot of the sketches was that I thought everyone doing TMZ bros was way funnier than the actual sketches. It was so good. <laughs> My favorite part of all the improv was actually Carson, who was hilarious. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's not often that Carson is my go-to on Drag Race, but he's really grown on me as a judge and as a comedic presence on the show in the last, like, season mm-hmm. and a half. Um, yes. So, yeah, but the, the best thing for me about that was that it finally gave them some some structure, because whenever mm-hmm. they do these improv sketches, they, they never have an end to any of them, so they just always end up in yes. a ridiculous fifth fight or slap fight or food fight for no reason. But here they could cut away and go back to the bros... And that made sense, fit the style of the show, it, like, made sense for the sketch. So, like, there was just built-in, baked-in structure. Um, And watching all the queens just in their complete dude bro drag was delightful and a lot of fun. Yeah, it was the, for me, legitimately, it was the second best part of the whole episode was them in the bro drag. Because the best part of the episode was Jujube bouncing back and forth between this weird drama between Blair and Cracker uh, and Juju B just being so turned on and excited about it, but also wanting to work. <laughs> it was the best thing that happened in the whole episode, considering the fact that the Blair and Cracker stuff didn't make any sense to me, mm-hmm. but Juju B just being there to be like, I love all of this. It's so hot, but also we need to work on our sketch, but I don't want to because I'm just here for all of this. What's going to happen? Just like, this is ridiculous. I'm just, I'm just like, this is very, very good. This is very, very good. And their sketch was sort of like the best of the three sketches mm-hmm. um, in, in part of a balance because I felt like everyone got a chance to shine a little bit, even if sometimes the, the third person would fade out because Blair fades out in the, like the second half of that sketch. But because of the escalation of where that sketch goes, it's okay. Um, so they have the best sketch. Um, and They just have the most to deal, to like play with, right? Yes, they do. They have the best premise as well. Yeah. Like in terms of stuff to go on, I it was just, it was very good. Um, yeah. So what did you think about like the runway looks for this episode? The the runway The Camo Couture. I thought that they this is the was the best runway of the season so far. Um but that's not saying all that much. Uh mm-hmm. I, I did like every one of the looks. I thought Alexis's white like winter uh, camo was just gorgeous, such a smart move. Completely set herself apart from everybody else. Uh I really liked for, I mean, I liked all of them. I really liked Jujubees, too. Um, mm-hmm. It was creative and fun and just a little different. I, I liked all of them. Uh, I saw some people didn't think that Blair's was camo, but I was like, stand in a forest, it's camo. <laughs> like, stand by right, a tree, it's fine. Also, like, A, it is camo because, like, the pattern of the leaves mimics a camo sort of yeah. swirl style. It's not as obvious as, like, a lot of the camo stuff. But it was also just such a different way of doing it that I really, really liked it. Yeah. Um, so I really liked Blair's whole forest tree poison ivy look. Um, I thought it was great. Yeah. Um, the, for, the, like, watching, just watching Jujube take this moment on the couch where Cracker is doing her best to make sure she gets screen time. And yes. be like, how can I make this about me? 
just a masterclass. It's very, very good. Mm-hmm. And similarly, I enjoyed watching Shay and Alexis handle their interactions. Again, like two reality TV pros of we're going to play this up just the right amount. It's going to be ridiculous and awkward and silly. And we're going to steer into it because we both know what we're doing and we want you, we want optimum screen time, but we also know, we also know just how much time we need to work on this so that we do a good job in the challenge. And I thought they both did a good job in the challenge. There just wasn't that much to it. Um, and again, so like they started out okay, but then it, they started out strong actually, I would say better than okay. But again, like, while I was very here for Alexis shoving the food into into her, her cleavage, uh, and the way like the the wig reveal for Shay and the fake pregnancy reveals like delightful, also a good um because because Shay's drinking wine when they cut go to them, so that was mm-hmm. a nice little like touch to 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 show that for the um the fake pregnancy, but but it just it wasn't there wasn't enough substance there for them to play with. They didn't create enough substance. So it was silly and fun, but I wanted more. And I felt like I got more with that, with the Cracker and Blair and and Jujubee one. But I would have given the win to Jujubee. I, I thought that she was the standout of their sketch, even if yeah. other people... I mean, apparently the judges all were much more interested in what Cracker was doing. But Cracker, as has frequently been an issue for her, I could hear... Her sitting in the in her planning time and writing out those different lines, like here are the zingers I will have ready, rather than being yeah. in the moment. And I thought Juju was much more in the moment. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Like there was a preparedness to Cracker that I think this kind of a challenge, especially with this group of queens, was probably the smart tactical move. Oh, you need to do that. Yeah, absolutely. You need to be prepared, but then yeah. you got to have some more flexibility within it too. Yeah. So you, 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 like, I mean, anytime you're preparing any performance, you have to know it well enough that you're ready, and then you have to know it well enough that you don't sound like you are ready. <laughs> it sounds like you're just in it. So, um, yeah, that's, that's something she continues to struggle with. But between the performance and the runway, I think I would have given it to Juju B. Um, were you happy with Cracker getting the win? What did you, th- what did you think of the runway besides Blair? Did you have any other standouts? No, like, I agree with the white camo. Um, the winter camo, I thought, looked pretty solid. It was a good way to differentiate. Um, I did keep waiting for someone to do, like, a passing mm-hmm. camo type of deal, because um, that would have been a nice, fun yeah. flip on that um, with commentary. But this isn't, like, an overtly political group. Um, so, meh. Um, yeah, the rest of the runway was fine. So, like, I wasn't mostly I was just kind of I'm not looking forward to a double elimination yeah <laughs> um of this whole you both won and it's just like Rue you you knew mayhem was getting booted oh, either way yeah <laughs> oh yeah Rue definitely that's why they did that because they weren't going to do a double yeah. elimination they don't have enough queens so yeah yeah unless they were planning to bring people back but no I thought the um the lip sync, that's what we got, the last thing we have to talk about is that lip sync. And uh, Cracker did a good job, but Morgan obviously won. Yes. So. Yeah. No, obviously did. Um, but I don't think that they wanted Morgan to eliminate her best friend. <laughs> no, I think they did, which is why they didn't okay. just give the win to Cracker. But Oh, that makes sense, yeah. But I think they didn't want the 20 grand to roll over to 30 grand. 
Uh-huh. Um, that's my my conspiracy theory, and so that's why they because like either the either the lip sync assassin wins, or if it's a tie, it should go to the all star because the whole point of the lip sync assassin is that they're supposed to be so good that you have yeah. to really raise your game. So there shouldn't you shouldn't have a tie in the first place, and if you do, it should go to the to the uh, the all-star it's sort of how i feel about it but yeah the um it was very strange by the time morgan was skipping over cracker's leg i was like why first of all cracker why are you doing a coffee grinder in the middle of the song it doesn't make any sense also morgan oh like a champ like a pro so i mean obviously she is but like like such a great move to just immediately take any steam out of that move that cracker's doing just to immediately just like Walk, this is literally walk all over it. Oh, it was great. Yeah. yeah. Oh. yeah. So, well, Mayhem's going home. Uh, are you happy with the, that determination? I'm very, I was ready for her to, to go home, even though India, I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah. It was time. But it's also just like at the same, at the same sort of like mentality, um, anyone going home just kind of makes sense because they're all, none of them are like super being impressive. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, if someone goes home, I'm just like, that makes sense. Because none of them are, like, really being all-stars. I feel like we had an all-star season in the regular season that just wrapped up. Yeah, the the, the, the regular season was more of an all-star season than this one has been. Yeah. Though, I will say, next we have Snatch Game of Love. And at least some of the queens deliver. So, listeners, we'll talk more about that next time. See, see if we still Good. are at the same place with it. But, yeah, I think you will be pleasantly uh not even surprised but i think you will enjoy some of the the snatch game turns and other ones not so much but more on that next week uh for now let's move over to genre with star girl and shiv part one so we get some info here on our baddie that, that we've been kind of waiting for what did you think of you know officially you know introducing our first was it what's the isa uh teen member injustice society of america yeah yes um, I liked it. I thought it was, I thought it was amusing. Um, and I thought it was a good sort of escalation of Cindy as a character and just out laying out all this stuff of Cindy as a knowing sleeper, mm-hmm. a, not a sleeping agent, sleeper agent, but an undercover agent within the school to keep tabs essentially on Henry Jr. Um, it's just so good. Like, it's really, really good. I really like it. Um, but I also really love all the paralleling that they do between Cindy and Courtney of, no, I want a seat at the table now, Dad. <laughs> now. And just, like, the sheer petulance of all of that, um, I think is a good juxtaposition against Courtney's over-eagerness. Um, so I think that the episode ends up being really well-balanced in that regard of doing this whole doing those two different doing the two same stories but in different tones i think works really really well um and cindy's just whole thing is just great and also her life must be absolutely horrible yeah i don't have time to make you another stepmother is just the worst possible thing to say yeah definitely (laughs) i don't have time yeah um so yeah, no, it's good. And also, she's not at all interested in Solomon Grundy. Like, just doesn't care. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so I liked all of this. Um, so how did you feel about that stuff? And 
how do you feel about Mike now that we've, we're actually giving him a thing to do in terms of at least being apparently jealous? Acknowledging about... that that's a thing? Yeah. 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 I've been waiting. Well, actually, I have been waiting for that because I didn't yeah. give the show the benefit of the doubt that that would be coming. So I was glad to be... Uh, uh, shown to that I should have had higher expectations for the show. I thought that little exchange that, that we get with Courtney and Mike was actually well overdue and completely logical. Of course, that's how he should be feeling. Um, and I also liked the, the little brief, like, uh, you're going to teach my daughter how to drive from Amy smart. Uh, don't you think we should have talked about this? Yep. Yes. Uh, the, the, it's really messed up that he's lying to her. Uh, and, that will hopefully come to a head soon, but yes. um, yeah, that's it's really a problem. It's it's more of a problem than the show wants it to be, and part of why it's more of a problem is because we so enjoy Amy Smart and the the little bits, which is not nearly enough, but the little bit she's gotten to do, she's really nailed, and she's made that character very likable and warm, and uh, so it's. And, and relatable. Like, she feels more real than I'm used to on these types of shows. So yeah. that that makes the, I'm going to gaslight my wife about how I'm spending my time and how, how I'm spending, you know, the time I'm spending with her daughter uh, just grosser. And so, yeah. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, but I like the stuff with Mike. I'm looking forward to more in that vein. And of course, because we know Jakeem is his friend, right? And that's I don't know if listeners know this in the comics that that magic pen thing ends up with a character named Jakeem. So I don't think that's a coincidence. So I w- we'll see eventually what happens with that. But I'm assuming they're going to tie Mike in a bit more to some of this at some point. the The question I have is, I mean, with that hair. There aren't, there's no one else in that school with that hair. So how do they not all know that she's Stargirl, right? Like, it's, yeah, Cindy no, it's, has to. Right, no, that's the thing. Cindy absolutely has to know. There's literally no one else with Courtney's hair. Yeah. That it could be. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, Wildcat, like, sure, you know, some of these other ones, like, yeah. But first of all, it is a very white school. So there isn't a different, like, there's only so many black students of that height for yeah. for Dr. Midnight and there's no one with that giant blonde hair which is fabulous don't get me wrong her hair looks great yes. but um they're really stretching that by not having like oh the the there's a sphere of like you know like I don't know like like the flash is con- we're supposed to remember that Barry is constantly vibrating his face whenever he interacts with anyone as the flash they just don't right. show it because it would be annoying um, and that's why nobody recognizes him. But, like, just throw out some ridiculousness around the staff for why people cannot know that it's Courtney. Um, yeah. It's asking a lot. Um, is Justin the janitor asking a lot? No, I'm super down for, like, Arthurian Knight guy who's clearly okay. traveled through time or something and has some sort of memory whammy on him. I will... I, yeah, are you kidding me? The number of hours I spent watching Hercules: The Legendary Journeys and Xena: Warrior Princess as a child. Yes, of course I'm on board for that. What What about you? Oh, I am. I mean, like I know who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm interested to see how they figure him into this. Yeah, having um, him recognize Stripesy is a 
is a pretty big thing. So I like that, that yes. that's a good like mid-season kind of sting, which is what this feels like this is. Yeah. Um, the only thing that I have against this episode, and I can't believe I'm going to say this, is that the music supervisor failed me. Because, Kate, Courtney and Cindy fight on a giant record. And for whatever reason, spin me right round <laughs> like a record doesn't start to yep. play. Yep. And it's a problem. <laughs> it's a problem. Um, I'm just like, that is, n- it's right there. Mm. It's right there. And they don't do it. I assume it's a money issue, but it's right there. Um, so that hurt me a little bit. And I just had to be a little frustrated with the music supervisor who's otherwise amazing <laughs> on this show. We should really look up who is the music supervisor for Star Girl and give them just all the kudos. <laughs> but I was like, it's right there. Um, but also, God, Blue Valley's just the worst. Like, why, why, why is your prom homecoming dance theme Greece? Why? Just, why? I know that they have this quixotic sort of attachment to, like, the bygone 1950s America, but also why? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and that's as much filibustering as I can do until you look up the music super. <laughs> Uh, that's funny. We've got series music by Pinar Toprak, but I think that's the composer. Yeah. Um, the music Probably. supervisor is Christopher T. Mullary. Um, okay. And there's a bunch, there's, there's a whole department, but Christopher T. Yeah. Mullary, M-O-L-L-E-R-E. Um, so, so yes. Well done, Chris. Or Christopher. Or Topher. Whatever you prefer. Um, okay. So... We'll see what we'll see what happens with part two, but I, I am excited. I've been, I've really been enjoying this um, this season. Yeah. I'm excited for part two and to see what comes next. But um, they can't just keep memory whammying everyone who knows who Courtney is. So, but I could yeah. also totally see Cindy being like, "I'm not going to tell you because you're being yes. a jerk, Dad." Cindy will absolutely not tell them, yeah, because now it gives her leverage, and then she's going to get the crap beaten out of her by it. Her dad's parent, her dad's friends, and her dad is not going to care. Yeah, no, he won't. He's <laughs> he will terrible. just grow another one. Yes. He will grow another Cindy. <laughs> well, and that was my question is, is he even, is she even Cindy or is she like uh, somebody else who was put into that body, whose memory and mind was put into that body? But I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. For now, I'm assuming she's, she's Cindy. Let's move over to S.H.I.E.L.D., Adapt or Die. And it looks like... Our guy, Enver Gyokash, is going to be around for a while. Hey-o. Very here for this. Yeah. I feel like he's probably going to have to be here for the rest of the show. Yeah, at this point. And I'm very okay with that. Yes. I think it's very good. I'm very excited. Um, if only because as a character, he just... He gets to add... He gets to be in the future, whereas everyone's in the past and has a different sort of perspective on that. But for him, everything's the future. Mm -hmm. And I really like that as a concept um, because it allows for them to do a lot more humor, but it also allows him to, it allows his set of ethics and morals derived from an immediate post-war and founding of S.H.I.E.L.D. to kind of come into play a bit more, which I also really like. It almost makes him into sort of a Captain America figure at the start of, like, the Avengers in the movies, almost, in a way. And also Winter Soldier, to a lesser extent. Um, 
well, to a more extent, Winter Soldier. Um, so I really like that kind of pivot on that. And I think it works really, really well. Um, the rest of this episode, I think, is okay. Um, mainly, though, I, I feel like this this season in particular does a really good job of making me go, I'm really worried about X by the end of the episode. I'm very worried about Mac. Yeah. Like, Buddy needs his shotgun axe back. Yeah. But I'm very worried about Mac and if Mac's going to continue to exist... <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing here is that while I think this episode was really effective, like affecting yeah. and effective, they did a good job with it, and the re- they handled the reveals very well. I'm a little leery about it because it. I mean, a lot of the charm and the fun of this season for me has been wacky adventures in space and time, and you can't really have wacky adventures in time uh, when one of your characters had to like kill the people impersonating his parents, you know, and, and his parents have been away from the timeline and like, who knows what that means for him or in the, the knowledge that his brother now is complete, his brother's whole life is completely changed. Uh, you know, like it, it has a lot of ramifications that I'm sure that the show is going to engage with. And that's what this next episode, I mean, with, with Deke and, and uh, Mac being left behind, probably their only jump, it'll be one of those convenient two year jumps or something, but I don't know. Mac's beard in the preview is pretty thick and bushy. <laughs> yeah. I thought I also saw a string though. So I was a little confused by that. I don't know. That preview is amazing. I'm yeah. very here for it, but, <laughs> but yeah, so the, you know, I'm sure the show is going to engage with all of this, but you know, in this episode, um, yeah, it, it was a good episode. I'm just a little leery of what's coming next. And we've got yeah. Coulson. Theoretically, hopefully, they'll they'll just like, well, why couldn't you just make another LMD of him? They have the scan of his brain. Catch him up, you know. Um, so I'm not too worried about Coulson, um, but I liked. I liked the stuff that we got with Gemma. I liked the explanation and the uh, like. The pacing of that I thought worked really well. I like. What was the explanation? Because I missed that. <laughs> oh, the explanation of she's got the 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 symbiotic uh, thing blocking parts of her memory and regulating her her memory and implant that she designed um, that mm-hmm. Enoch knows about and helps her maintain. And but it's, okay. but it's acting up. And so when it acts up, she forgets things she is supposed to remember and she starts remembering things that she needs to not. I caught that bit. Yeah. Okay. And uh, okay. I thought the way that they handled that of Deke, just like seeing Enoch messing with, with her brain and just being like, Grandma! <laughs> I thought that that was very good before, before zapping with the, uh, the defibrillator. Um, yeah, that all, I mean, this is why you can't, like, it's not always helpful to have secrets, right? They need to have the secrets, but... So a character like Deke, uh, you need to tell him that he can't know, and then he'll be, okay, that's fine. Um, yeah. But So I thought that that worked well, and it was a good, again, a good pacing throughout the season. We're in episode six here of, I think it's 13, right, this season? I think so, yeah. So that was a good point to, like, start hinting at and then, like, answer some of the questions about about what's going on with Gemma. Um, and, I, you know, we'll see what happens with Daisy, but theoretically nerfing her powers at least for a bit should, again, make interesting complications for why they can't just have her superpower her way through everything. So, yeah, I, I had fun right, with this one. Right, which she normally doesn't do anyway. Yeah. Like, so. Yeah. Yeah. The, though, I mean, Enver, you gotta, I mean, sorry, Souza, not the actor, the character, you gotta just step on his head at that point. You really just gotta kill him. You can't leave him there. That's, <sighs> kill baby Hitler. Come on. 
And it's not even <laughs> baby Hitler. It's fully grown, psych, you know, psychotic adult Hitler with superpowers, right? Like, come on. Anyways, we'll see what happens. Uh, but I thought they did they did their what they needed to do in that um, scene with Enver and Daisy. Uh, sorry, Sousa and Daisy, and to to really um, build that relationship and explain why he would stay. Um, you know, and I'm sure there are plenty of people who ship it, but for me, it was much more of a comrade in arms kind of thing. Um, yes. And drawing from his still, like, not completely recent, but still not all that not recent or experience in his timeline. Um, yeah. I thought they really sold that. And also getting over the heartbreak of Peggy Carter breaking his heart, because yeah. also that is a thing that is very difficult to get over. Yeah. <laughs> Especially, like, like and we don't know exactly what happened, but I, but from the way that he was, like, checking his hair, you get a sense that maybe he screwed things up, too, you know? Yeah. As opposed to just, like, no, you don't understand, she's an OTP for the, in the movie, so that's what has to win. Um, yeah. That jerk traveled back in time and won her over. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Well, any final thoughts on S.H.I.E.L.D.? Uh, besides the, how much we're looking forward to, like, the next, the 80s-themed episode? <laughs> I'm so excited about it. I'm so excited about Coulson in a TV. Mm-hmm. I can't, I can't not be excited about that episode mm-hmm. with a RoboCop short short circuit deal. I cannot be excited should, about that. Should we talk about Warburton real quick? Because I also really enjoyed Warburton in, in this. He's so good when he pops up on this show. Yeah, he's so good, and I just really enjoy his whole thing with May in this episode. Mm-hmm. Is really, 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 really good. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. Well, our last episode for the week in TV is actually from last week, and that's Adventure Time Distant Lands, BMO. So this is about a 45-minute long episode uh, that gives us, as we found out at the end, our backstory for how BMO yes. ended up at the treehouse, uh, or at least in th- those environs. So, uh, obviously, you were a fan. You you enjoyed yes. this very much. I thought it was good. I, I liked it. I think, yeah. I mean, I think it, it did not benefit from being like from your enthusiastic endorsement it was a bit overhyped but i thought it was really good i thought it was very good it just didn't like explode my brain and change my life but it was very very good either (laughs) it didn't do that either for me um i just i really enjoyed like a long bemo adventure yeah like i said last week i love bemo adventures I kept waiting for Olive to be evil because of the design, and so yeah. I couldn't really just enjoy. So I feel like if I rewatch it, I will be able to just like relax and enjoy all the fun with Olive, which is like the hijinky beginning of this, and like it even more. Yeah, and I think that's fair. Um, mostly, though, what I came down with is trying to figure out like the puzzledness of it all because I was just like, is that Stephen Root? That sounds like Stephen Root. Mm-hmm. Is that Martin? But Martin knows what BMO looks like. Why is he pretending he doesn't know what BMO looks like? I'm so confused. And then it was, oh, that's definitely Martin. <gasps> it's a prequel. <laughs> and I just, I just got so excited. Um, but I, I really liked all of this episode in terms of like again a BMO adventure and a BMO just being BMO is always really great for me. So I like that endless optimism layered in with that existentialness that always kind of exists within BMO storylines of BMO dying, but BMO always bounces back. Um, and that kind of a thing. And then to layer on top of that, this whole very, very stealth, but then not stealth at all 
critique of Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and rich people doing whatever they want to flee from a dying area on a rocket ship. Mm-hmm. Um, and voiced by Randall Park. Yeah. It's very good. And I, I just really, really, really enjoyed this. I, I thought it was, I think it's really great. And I'm very upset that there was not another episode this week. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, it was it was really fun having Hugo. I mean, they were a little too effective with Hugo. I think apparently the reason they had Olive come out at the end is that it's supposed to make it an optimistic idea that maybe he can Olive's going to help Hugo be better and not play into his destructive no. impulses. And instead, like that's like that's not what I took from it, creators. Because no. all I took from no. it was oh look now poor Olive is absolutely going to be exploited by this piece of shit who has not learned a single thing and will not learn anything. So, um, yeah, that that wasn't the takeaway we were supposed to have from that final moment with those two. Um, But other than that, I was very on board. Uh, Let's also mention John Hodgman as one of the robot, the the bunny people or whatever at the beginning. Yes. Yeah. Super fun. Really enjoyed. Uh, I was like, oh, John Hodgman. And then like two seconds, like, oh, Stephen Root. Because <laughs> I know about Randall Park because you mentioned it last week, but I didn't know about the other two. So that was super duper fun. Um, the I think I think the time that we got the timing we got with the um, was it Y five and and yes. and their mom and dad. Uh, I thought again the balance was pretty good. Uh, it's it the darkness is right there, but it doesn't linger in it for Bemos killing all these life forms. <laughs> Yay! Uh, but, um, yeah. <laughs> Having the, the Fraser theme be what what makes someone go, oh, I think I know them, right? It's, it's very good. There was a lot to enjoy here. Oh, when that Fraser theme kicked in, I was just like, yes. Cheers is the unifying television show of an age. <laughs> <laughs> Keeps everything in balance, and it's leaving Netflix or lost left netflix this month and i'm very upset oh that's it. very sad yeah Listeners, yeah it's been there forever it's too been there it's been on time. netflix forever so yeah. i'm not surprised but i'm also very sad if it's leaving next month get thee to netflix and watch it now because it's very very yeah. good perfect quarantine watch but if it's already gone then go find where it is and watch it yeah there. i'm guessing all access i guess i don't know um because it's owned by uh, cbs television so i don't know well, do you have any final thoughts on this episode besides it's, you know, delightful and fun? It's delightful and fun. And yeah, go watch it. Mm. Yeah. Because it gives you some adventure time when you need some adventure time. I feel like it's the other thing. We all need a shot of BMO right now. Yeah, I think that's what it was. Is like, I needed a shot of BMO. And I was really glad to get that. And I think that's part of the reason why this episode hit as well as it did for me is like, oh, I didn't know I needed this much BMO right now. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I needed a lot of BMO. Okay. I feel much better. Yeah. Yeah. And and a new adventure with BMO, you know? Like, the, mm-hmm. even just to get emotional, like, if it's like, just the concept that one's adventures with BMO are not all behind one, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, we don't have to stare into the, 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 the gaping maw of content and be like, and you don't get any more fun with BMO. BMO's too happy. BMO's too optimistic about the world while still aware of its darkness. So you don't mm-hmm. get that. You only get docu-series about serial killers and mindless reality tv you know so yeah definitely i hear you i i see you and i agree um well what was your week in tv that's a good question um i don't 
No, I don't know that I really, really enjoyed anything this week. Mm-hmm. Um, enough to say that it won my week. Um, so I'll just give like tip of the hats to Star Girl, and I'll be gone in the dark for different reasons. But like nothing really won my week this week. Um, but I did enjoy both of those. Did you do any other rewatching? I watched my first guy's grocery game. So I watched four episodes. Delightful. Oh, just as you nice. Said. Yeah, well, I'm really glad. Um, no, I didn't do a lot of rewatching. Like, I finished up Community this week, um, and that was that was God. Paget Brewster just comes in and immediately owns that show in that last season. It's really it's really bizarre and wild and beautiful. Um, and I did start Fate Zero, but I don't want to talk about Fate Zero yet because that's that's a thing. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's all I can say. What about you? What won your week this week? Well, I'll give a shout out to Legendary, which had capes and tights, which was a money ball and was super fun. There's only two more episodes of Legendary left. And uh, and fortunately, they gave screeners for them. The The finale of Legendary was filmed like as New York was shutting down. So they didn't have an audience okay. for the very last episode. So we'll talk about that when we get to it. Um, so there's only nine episodes. I wonder if there were supposed to be ten, but then they saw the ray on the wall and they said, we're just going to do, yeah. instead of the top two, we're just going to do a top three. Because um, it seems odd to have nine on HBO Max, but who knows? Anyways, point being, uh, Legendary is pretty fun this week. Um, but I think I'll give it to... I'll give it to Adventure Time. Okay. With a, a little tip... I of, gave it to them last week, so I couldn't do it again. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, because you watched it last week. But um, I'll, yeah. tip of the hat to I'll Be Gone in the Dark, which is one that I actually I think I'll probably... That, that seems like that'll be good old man TV, so it's something I can watch yeah. with my dad, because um, we're both up to here with Perry Mason. So... <laughs> Uh, that very much may no longer be our go-to Sunday uh, viewing, but yeah. And of course, obviously the actual best thing we watched this week was Avatar The Last Airbender, but that's for streaming in place. And we haven't even gotten to like the good episodes yet. They're just like right on the horizon. And I'm so excited for Elsa. It's very good. It's very good. Um, now we'll take a break, listen to a trailer and come back to talk about uh, Taste the Nation with Pema Lakshmi from Hulu. So we'll be right back after this. This is my first rodent. What does it taste like to you? It's the chicken. <laughs> Everything that the American cuisine is today is because all these different people and different cultures contributed to it. Mmm, mmm, mmm. Oh my god. It's such a flavor explosion. Everybody knows Thai food. Nobody knows about Thai people. There's the dish, and then there's the hands that prepare and serve the dish. You are a good baby. <laughs> This alone is reason to come to El Paso. That's <laughs> mm. good, huh? <laughs> Burp a little. Let's <laughs> tie 2.0, dude. Had my tie? Watch your back. God damn it. <laughs> Food is medicine. We've all heard that before. It's much deeper than just what feeds you. It's like a spiritual connection. The gateway to another culture often happens first food. Okay, inshallah. <laughs> if you sit at my table and eat with me, you'll know who I am. This is what American food looks like. This is the original. This is real America. I'm really sorry you can't eat this. I always do that. 
That was a trailer for Hulu's Taste the Nation with Padma Lakshmi, and I had to make sure to include the With Padma Lakshmi on there, because there also actually is a, I think it's a British show called Taste the Nation that is somewhat similar. Um, I mean, like, any show that's called Taste the Nation is probably, if it's a documentary series, can be kind of similar to this. What this show is, it's a half hour to 35-ish minute long show where uh, Padma goes to a different town, an American city or, or town, and really dives deep with one particular type of cuisine that is prominent or notable in that region. And so it's telling the immigrant experience through food and in these different town. So she starts out in El Paso, El Paso and does like Tex-Mex there. Um, and really, I mean, just like when she just like starts crying over that taco, I was like, yep, yep. I feel you. I feel you, Padma. I feel like if I ate that right now, I would, I might also start crying because it looks <laughs> so amazing. Um, so, so it was, a you know, in a, especially the shows that, the shows that are hitting differently because of like quarantine and coronavirus and all that stuff. Are are not always the ones I expect. Like I didn't wouldn't have expected uh, we're here to hit as hard as it did. But because it's like let's celebrate live performance, this thing that no one can do right now, um, and this one of just like travel and experiencing all this and coming together over food with strangers and new friends and old right hits in a little different way right now than it would normally. But I think regardless of that overall, I think it's a really good show. I really enjoyed it. I have some quibbles. So um, what did you think? I also really like this. It's definitely within the vein of like no reservations or ugly delicious. Um, and I say that with like really in really good ways because I yeah, think that's that this is this is a really solid tra- food travelogue show. In part because it has a really kind of clear perspective about what it wants to say, um, which is better than other food travelogue shows that's just about highlighting the food in some way, shape, or form, um, like from a different area or whatever. And there's a na- the narrative through line of looking at an immigrant experience through the food and then specifically through these um, either American cities or, in some cases, American regions, um, I think really does a good service to sort of finding those connections and how food is both a national signifier, but also is very can, sorry, can be very quickly assimilated and the tensions therein of what that means. So you get that really specifically in a couple of episodes and like chop suey as being like the, what is chop suey anyway, episode being a really clear example of that. Um, but even like the all-American wiener where they're talking about German food um, also gets folded into that. So I think that this is really, really good. I think it's something that, before we get to other quibbles, I think it is something that benefits from not being marathoned. <laughs> um, just on a pacing scale of some of this kind of starts to feel a little repetitive. Um, so I think watch spacing out your viewing of it is probably the best way to go. Um, but overall, I think this is really, really good, but there are definitely some quibbles to be had with it. Um, but let's talk a little bit more about the things that we liked before we kind of like ding it a bit. Um, so was there a particular episode that stood out to you that maybe you didn't know a lot about the cuisine or the story really kind of grabbed you in some way? Well, 
I was going to ask you a different question. Have you been to any of these cities? Do you know any of these particular, like, types of cuisine and in the regions that they were visiting? Because I do. Okay, so let me look at it and go, no. Um, Gullah, the Gullah, the Gullah one kind of comes the closest, um, being from the Southeast. However, um, like... I, based on, like, how they were talking about it, I thought they were talking about low country boils and that kind of a thing, which they are, but they're not, um, because of, like, how that food tradition has developed. Um, so that was the closest within regionally speaking, but that was the only one. Mm-hmm. Well, for me, the, I mean, there's plenty, most of this, this food I'm familiar with and have eaten before at some point, but not all that closely, not all that you know, I wouldn't say that much, you know, feeling like I have a particularly strong connection to it. But, and all the food looks delicious and amazing, don't get me wrong. But, first of all, my brother-in-law is Peruvian. And so when, like, and I'm also trying to eat healthy right now and have been for a while. So, like, the Loma Saltado, oh man, I could have eaten the shit out of some Loma Saltado while I was watching the Peruvian food episode. And, like, I, I, I wanted more depth. I wanted more specifics as they talked about Peruvian food um, because it was it was so, it was so basic. And it also didn't reflect much of my experiences with uh, Peruvian food having traveled to a couple different places in Lima. No, in, sorry, in Peru. Lima and um, over in Cusco, right? So I've been to uh, just twice I've been to Peru. Um, so not very often. So obviously I'm in no way even a minor mini expert on anything about Peruvian food. I just have had it and it's really yummy um, yeah. if you know the right places to get it. So I was really excited that they did a Peruvian episode. And I was like, oh, I got to send this to, to, to my sister and brother-in-law. And then I was like, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Um, but I really wanted that. And then the other one was the Milwaukee episode because, sure. Noel, when I tell you, I could just, I could taste the Spetzel from Mater's. They're standing outside of Mater's, which is a German restaurant in Milwaukee. They didn't go in to Mater's. But I've, I, one New Year's Eve I spent with my sister and one of my brothers at, in Milwaukee and we went to Mater's and not knowing it was going to be like a, like a, a buffet kind of like to do a special thing where you can trust, you know, do whatever it's supposed to. We thought we were just going to go to get dinner and we'll try it. Um, also one of my good friends from college, they got married in Milwaukee and had their reception. Um, like the way that, uh, who was it? Ellie Wong talked about doing that. They had their reception at Mater's. And um, so I like just, just the, it's so good. It's like schnitzel and Spetzel, and it's, it's really, really unhealthy, but it's so delicious. And, like, with a crisp beer and everything, because uh, I'm also not drinking right now because I'm trying to make healthy food choices, and I'm just like, this would be so delicious. <laughs> All the carbs. Oh. Those pretzels oh. look really good. See, I don't even like pretzels. I don't even like those pretzels, but, mm-hmm. like, the other stuff, I was just like, oh. I, I've only had Spetzel once, and I was like, oh, I get it. Okay, I get it. I get it why it's in the, the Raindrops and Roses song, because it's really good. Um, so, yeah, a lot of this food, if you have a particular connection to any of the types of food, or to these cities, right, these food yeah. cities, and and I like that some of them were really obvious, and some of them were less so, um, then there's a lot of joy to be had in just, like, appreciating 
the food, appreciating the process of how they're making it, appreciating the attention to detail and watching people who really know what they're doing do it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, there was also just a few moments where I was like, I could, I could, I could hop in a car right now if it wasn't this quarantine. <laughs> I could go, I could go to Mater's and I could order a, a schnitzel and I could, I could just with the, the squeeze the lemon on top. And then it's just, it's so, it's just, it's just fried meat, but it's so yummy. <laughs> Anyways, that's, that's was, that was the moment I was having as they drove around in the, the Oscar Mayer Wiener <laughs> Mobile, which was delightful. Um, but yes, any anything like that for you? I mean, a lot of it was watching them, like watching people make food right now is just kind of torturous um, because we're just like, oh, that's exactly what we want. Um, but it was also like it does did compel us like today we're getting Indian food because we watched the Don't Mind If I Dosa episode, which is the third episode mm-hmm. of the season that deals with Indian cuisine, spe- specifically within New York and also specifically with Lakshmi's um, own background. Um, and we were like, oh, yeah, no, we're getting Indian food this week. Um, there's literally like one place in Tacoma <laughs> that we can get Indian food, however. Um, so we're going there for dinner today and lunch tomorrow, basically, <laughs> and getting a whole bunch of food because we just were like, oh, we really want Indian food. But you kind of hit that point in this show, I think, really kind of consistently. Um, like, I'm not a big seafood person, but like the Gullo episode, like, mm-hmm. just really makes you appreciate the degrees to which seafood prepared well is something to really enjoy, even if I'm not big on seafood um particularly like crawfish and um shellfish type stuff um this is not my bag like i'll eat a crab cake every now and then Mm -hmm. but that's about the extent of what like i do um but watching like i don't have a lot of exposure to uh, persian food Mm -hmm. but it's all the flavor profiles are things i will enjoy so watching that episode was also particularly difficult um the Thai food episode wasn't as difficult for me because I know good Thai food and I've had good Thai food. Mm-hmm. Um, like I had the city I grew, the city I was born and grew up in um, has an incredibly good Thai restaurant that is actually quite authentic. So shockingly for an Atlanta suburb. <laughs> um, but like I took a friend of mine who had been to Thailand and like stayed there for like a year. And she was like, this is really actually spot on kind of Thai food and she's like thank god um, <laughs> but it's it also just reminded me of how much I really enjoy Thai food so I think that there's like a lot of watching this and going oh right we could be I could be having this food I can't though because I can't leave my house because <laughs> everything is awful um, so yeah there was a lot of that of like that food envy kind of mm-hmm. kicking in um, or even because- just like yeah, I know. I know orange chicken and general sauce chicken is trash and all that. Like, I get what you're saying, but also I could murder some orange chicken right now. It's it's just that, candy. It's just that, that's chicken what I candy. said about General Sows, and yeah. like I I appreciated also like one of their folks that they talked to being like, yeah, no, it's not. It's not. It's not Chinese cuisine. It's still really good, <laughs> but it's not Chinese cuisine. And um, I was just like, I feel you, buddy. Yeah, yeah, because I also enjoy General Sal's. Um, 
but yeah, no, it's not Chinese cuisine. And that was one of the things that I was like, when I was watching that episode in particular, it was just like, I don't know that I've actually had like really authentic Chinese cuisine ever before. Um, so that made me really curious about like actually trying to find that out. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about some of our issues uh, with the episodes. So one of the big issues that we had, um, or that I'm aware that we had, because I was reading tweets about it from you and your partner, um, is the, the episode that is about indigenous food. And specifically, like, I thought the episode was fine, but the the branding of it as this is the real American food, because it takes what was an entire continent of food and says this food of the people who, you know, live in or lived in what is now Arizona, New Mexico, that is the indigenous food of the entire country. And that's... Not even remotely accurate, and it was such a weird misstep. And so, like, I didn't have any issues with how they actually, like, what the episode and with the food, and the like, I thought it was really neat to like learn about like the 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 getting the stuff from like the the different like there was there was like a the rat kind of the rodent kind of thing that looked really interesting, and like there was a lot of really cool stuff about the food of that region, but also the the blurring of all indigenous peoples in this con- on this continent before European explorers got here ate this food was just like that's obviously not true why are you branding it as such yeah yeah there's a framing in the original americans which is the 7th episode of this of the series where you just go wait hang on you're going to make sure that you delineate between North and South India and the differences in those cuisines and flavor profiles. But you're going to make a very sweeping statement about indigenous food within the continental United States, basically. And it doesn't really work. And I get, and there's a number of ways around it from acknowledging the fact that this is very varied landscape and the tribes, um, have different sort of food cultures that doesn't get mentioned um then there's the decolonized thanksgiving which is deeply frustrating since (laughs) cranberries were a thing yeah (laughs) before they became part of thanksgiving Mm -hmm. people ate cranberries um indigenous people ate cranberries that lived where cranberries were grown so it's just one of those it there's a conversation to be had about the westward push and the reservation and system and all of that and like surviving through all of that as a food culture and as a culture in general and even just like this is what remains but it was so varied and now this is all that remains yeah and that the episode doesn't really address that because the other thing i just went bison like Bison and buffalo. These were things like you're just, it's just a deeply, it's a very myopic episode for an episode for a series that is otherwise not terribly myopic, but it was really frustrating to watch that episode and to watch them, the show not acknowledge like the varied experience of that, that then gets shrunk down by U.S. government policy. 
And so it was really frustrating to watch that. It was also kind of frustrating to watch Padma in that episode because this is the episode in which she's very clearly not enjoying the food. <laughs> yeah, there is. She's dying for salt. She's mm-hmm. just dying for salt. <laughs> yeah, there was different. Um, there was a lot of. Oh my god, this is amazing. Yes. And I don't doubt that it was, but um, there were certain ones where you could tell that she's like, but really, this is the stuff. Yeah. Yes, um, and you, and that's sort of like my favorite thing in the Hawaiian episode where they do poke, which I think is kind of a scattershot episode, um, but where they're making a poke bowl, um, and she she eats and she makes a mm, that's good sound, but the chef immediately calls her out of you don't like this as much as <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah what's missing um, type of deal, but yeah, it was just really frustrating because. Th- it's not as cooed over as some of the other food in this series. And, and her response to it is muted comparatively to other things. Cause you can tell, like I said, she wanted salt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At a certain point, the, the cooing over the food felt performative. Yes. But I, but I, you know, it also struck me as the kind of thing where like they, you're, you're in the audience for a sitcom or something. Yes. And, everybody's laughing way more than they normally would because of the experience of being there filming a thing and having a warm up, like a comedian come out first and yes. like you're there with you. So, so like that, that those same people would not laugh nearly as much in a different context at the same exact content. So like, I'm sure the process of making all the, these foods and being immersed in them, all this stuff, I don't doubt that her reactions are genuine um, mm-hmm. throughout, but I also kind of would have liked like a, okay, so sum up. So, but what what won the season for you? What was what are you going to go back to first of all these different areas and like have be your like these different cities, um, and have be your go to? Because you said all of them was like the most delicious blank you've ever had. Yeah. And if I was I, like, I feel like some of the all the Top Chef people have got to be like, hey, 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 you said that about my food. Wait a second. Yeah, even though like she's very clearly excited to go to that Thai restaurant in Vegas, like she's mm-hmm. so excited to be in that restaurant. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, like that did not feel performative in any way, shape, or no. form. She was no. so fucking excited <laughs> yeah. to be there um, that it was kind of infectious. Yeah. Um, well, and I think in that sense, she, I think she's a really good host for that stuff yes. because you do get that she she is very invested in all of this. At least the, yes. she comes across as very invested, yeah. um, and she's a very sympathetic and um, interesting host. Like, like she's engaged and curious, and I, even just like the choices in cuisine that they are making in the season. Like I said, I would never have expected we're going to do Peruvian American cuisine in a first season of a show like this. Not, I would like, I could have guessed 20, 30 types of cuisine before I was like, Hey, maybe they'll do Peruvian. Also, like, how do you not, how do you not have any like, uh, the, the, the maracuya sours, right. Or pisco sours. Cause like, Oh man! Part of not going to Comic Con this year in San Diego means that my sister and I can't go back to that Peruvian place on Fifth mm-hmm. Street that has the insane maracuya sours, which are so delicious. Anyways, sorry, I'm getting lost here in my reverie about Peruvian booze. But um, yeah, I, so I appreciated the, some of the choices. I think I read somewhere that she uh, or the show wants to go if they get a second season, they want to go to D- Detroit, and d- there's some like there's an area in Detroit they want to do like so some of the choices I really appreciated. Um, and yeah, and, and you can see like when she got to cook with uh, Mother Jeffrey, she was just like losing her shit 
which was yes. awesome. So just yes. watching her enthusiasm and, and passion for all of this was really neat. It is. It's really, it's very, it's very infectious. Like she watched me does a really great job of making you excited about the food in this. And I th- also think that the show's aesthetics really drive home that as well. Like the ways in which that they do like try touches of the ingredients with the uh, English spelling and then the native spelling of in characters, I think is really great, but also the ways in which the food and the people holding the food blur in and out of focus centered frame, um, which is a really constant, um, whatchamacallit, constant visual within this, um, within the series connects so many little dots from her excitement to making sure that the food and the experience and by experience, I mean the history are all front and center, literally. Um, and I really, really appreciate all of that and the ways in which they build that narrative across 10 episodes, but also within each half hour installment. Yeah. It's very tactile. Yes, um, it is. It's a very tactile cooking show in a different way from other travelogue shows. Um, like, I mean, it's a different sort of tactile experience than Ugly Delicious, I think. Um, in part because Ugly Delicious is a little more discourse driven, which is not a knock against it because I really do like Ugly Delicious's discourse based discussion type stuff. But this is this is a different experience and I really like that. Yeah. Um, well, any final thoughts on the season? Any any towns you want them to hit up if they get a season two? Um, I mean, I don't know enough about food culture for them to really dig into it. I do want another indigenous food episode because mm-hmm. I feel like you kind of have to do one because it's your weakest episode and it's the one that deserves a corrective or an expansion than what we get here. Um, I think that... for me personally one of the things that i've found since moving up here in the northwest has been um salvadorian food Mm -hmm. um which is something i think is definitely worth exploring um fucking pupusas man (laughs) fucking pupusas are delicious um so i think that's definitely something to look at um i think there's just a wealth of especially south american cuisines that have come up into the united states that are definitely worth exploring um, the only other thing I think that needs to be here that's present in the Gullah episode but can be expanded upon is definitely going to be more food from an African diaspora perspective mm-hmm. and from an African um, African just translation um, I think is also something that they need to do um, going forward as well. Um, anything for you in particular? Well, I was gonna say, like, I just I've heard over and over that Ethiopian food is amazing. I've never had it, but my it partner like... loves Ethi- Ethiopian food. She loves yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, that seems like a great place to to go um, in the next season. But we'll see. We'll see what they do. I'm excited for it. I, I mean, if they get it re- renewed, who knows? Yeah. But but yeah, I think it's a timely and worthwhile conversation. And there's a lot to really. We've only really scratched the surface of this season because they're so like there's very distinct episodes, and there's yes, there are themes throughout, but. Um, it was really fun to really like sink into these different types of cuisine and these different areas and to get a little bit of a sense of the energy and the, the process for each. So yeah, you know, check it out. If you're, if you're curious about, if you like food shows, if you're curious about um, like finding 
learning more about a particular cuisine, look up that episode and go from there and see what you think. But yeah, I'm glad we watched it. Um, that will wrap up our conversation for this week. A few show notes. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can like our page on Facebook and start up a conversation there. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can find an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed up in Apple Podcasts as well as over on Stitcher. We'd appreciate a rating, ratings and reviews uh, either place. And of course, we are both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse, and Noel, you are? At Noel or Kay. Thank you so much for a great discussion, Kate. Thank you, Noel. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse.